Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 57 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il, and it is a true blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless me with the knowledge of Islam that I'm able to share it with you guys here on this podcast. Um, again, thank you so much for you know sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any question or any suggestion, please please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com. And I promise I will get back to you as soon as possible. Again, this podcast is for anyone who wants to learn about the uh, the religion of Islam, who wants to you know understand the religion of Islam. Um, if you are uh, remotely curious about Islam, or if you are studying Islam for any you know academic purposes, uh, or if you are thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about you know, you know your own religion. This is the podcast for you, inshallah. Again, thank you so much for your participations and all your you know, kind feedback. Thank you so much. And let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, we're continuing uh, last episode's topic, which we're still talking about the miracle of the ascension uh, to the seven heavens. And we mentioned last time, I really truly wanted to finish the whole topic last time. But like I said before, it's a very rich incident. There's so much that happened to the Prophet ﷺ. And, you know, there's so much wisdom that we could, you know, uh, derive from that incident and from that journey. Uh, so that's why I, I did not want to keep any information from you guys regarding this uh, incident. And inshallah, today we will conclude the, the entire miracle, the entire incident. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we stopped last time that the Prophet ﷺ, uh, uh, you know, uh, saw the Sidra, which is the tree of life. Uh, and he saw all the blessings around the Sidra and he, you know, was able to describe it uh, to us. And the rivers and all the, the good deeds from it and, you know, all the blessings that the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to the Prophet ﷺ from that tree. Now, after all this was done, now it was time for the grand prize, which is meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet wasallam. that was the main purpose of that journey. You know, that journey, yes, Allah wanted the Prophet to wanted to reward the Prophet wasallam. number one, for all the, you know, patience. You know, we talked about all the bad things that happened to the Prophet ﷺ, especially what happened to him in the year of sorrow when he lost his uncle and his wife and he was physically and mentally uh, harmed uh, by the people of Ta'if, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to reward him by giving him this present, this blessing of a journey. Uh, and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to, to, to show his Prophet all the miracles and the stuff beyond our world. He wanted him to see, you know, the, the seven heavens, the seven skies. He wanted him to witness, you know, uh, uh, to have a conversation with Adam and, 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 and have a conversation with, you know, a lot more prophets. To see Al-Bayt Al-Ma'mur, to see certain things, to see the Sidra. And, you know, the, the blessings of that Sidra or, or the, the tree of life. But the grand prize was meeting Allah. Now, before we get into that meeting... Something must be uh, uh, clarified to you guys. Something must be made very clear to all of you guys. The Prophet ﷺ never saw Allah. 
There was never a visual meeting. The meeting was a spoken meeting. The the Prophet went up there to the above the seventh the seventh heaven. He was in the presence of the Almighty, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Never saw Allah. Spoke directly to Allah. So the Prophet heard Allah by Allah's mighty, unimaginable, you know, voice. For us, it's unimaginable, right? Spoke directly to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala spoke directly. To him But that was it There was no visual contact Of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees everyone But no one can see Allah Until the day of judgment And that was an authentic hadith That the Prophet said The Prophet after this meeting Was telling the companions and everyone Rest assured Rest assured That none of you will see Allah Until the day you die after that, in the hereafter, that's a different story. And we'll get to that, inshallah, when we get to it. So Allah hasn't been seen by anyone. You have to understand that, okay? Um, now, not, not even by the angels, by the way. Not even by the angels, not even by Jibreel, not even by Adam. Everything happened via conversation. They hear Allah, they know His presence. No one is to see Allah because no one, has that honor or will be able to receive that honor in this life. You have to pass the test. Go to the hereafter as a winner, as a believer, to be able to see Allah. And there will be a lot of people who would see Allah, by the way. Depends on your level of faith. It's that simple. You know, the commands that come to the angels, they come through Allah. That's why Allah spoke the Quran to Jibreel and Jibreel spoke it to our Prophet That was how the revelation was. You know, Allah does the miracles, does everything. And we'll talk about how. Now, Jibreel, angel Gabriel, was not present in that meeting. Our Prophet ﷺ was lifted by Allah beyond the seventh heaven on his own. Remember, guys, from the beginning of the journey, Jibreel was with Prophet Muhammad ﷺ every step of the way. In the Isra, in the night journey, he took him from Mecca to Jerusalem. He was with him. He was with him in the Masjid al-Aqsa, in, in, inside the big mosque that he met all the prophets and, and, and their spirits in. Ascending to, throughout the seven heavens, you know, who, who was giving permission to cross, you know, from one gate to, to, from one heaven to the other. It was Angel Jibreel, right? So Angel Jibreel with, was with the Prophet ﷺ at every step of the way, up until this point. So when it came to passing the seventh heaven, being in the presence, the divine presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself, Jibreel did not go with the Prophet ﷺ. Now, the Prophet ﷺ also was allowed or given the permission to describe certain things that while he was be going up, he witnessed, such as number one, he heard the sound of the pen writing. What, what does that mean? The Prophet ﷺ tells us in an authentic hadith, the first thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had created in terms of the creation, in terms of us, before us, before anything, was something called the pen. Just the pen, a pen, like a divine pen. 
Allah created something called the pen, which is an, a pen, but it's beyond our understanding the size and the you know the look of that pen. And then Allah asked the pen, He said, Uktub, write. So the pen asked Allah, What should I write, O Allah? And then Allah told the pen, Write everything until the day of judgment, meaning write destiny. And with all its layers, all the layers of destiny, every single thing that happens, write it. By the way, the pen's still writing until now. Some might say, what are you talking about? If destiny was written 50, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that destiny has been written 50,000 years before the creation of everything. So how come it's still writing now? Well, there are, and I said that, there are different layers of Destiny. There's something called uh, uh, um, the life destiny or the ex the destiny of existence. It's like the highest level, which is you know when is the day of judgment? When is the creation? When is this and that? When is the Laylatul Qadr? When is the revelation of Islam? These things. This is the the, the the highest level of destiny. You have also annual destiny. You have something called the weekly destiny, and you have something called the daily destiny. We're gonna get. I promise, inshallah, we'll get to that because it's a very, very big and complex topic talking about destiny and the levels of destiny. But for now, you have to know that destiny is being written on a daily basis. Even you have to know that. That's that's a fact. And you could change your destiny. By the way, people could change their destiny with one tool. The Prophet ﷺ told us about that tool in an authentic hadith, making du'a. Making dua, supplication to Allah, asking Allah sincerely for something while praying or while doing good deeds is the only thing that would change your destiny. So for example, if something bad is about to happen to you and you're afraid that something bad will, and it's written for you that it will happen. It's written for you that it's, it will happen. Making dua, Allah, because of your dua, would change that destiny. Ready? Allah will change that destiny. So, for example, you're, God forbid you're supposed to be hit by a car. It's already written in your destiny. You made dua, oh Allah, keep me safe for the sake of my family so I can do more good in is to Islam, for Islam, or, you know, all these things. If Allah accepts that dua from you, if Allah accepts that supplication, that car won't hit you. Here's the trick. Changing destiny is already written in a higher level of destiny. Allah written... That he will change destiny Based on your choice of making dua You, you chose to make dua to Allah For Allah to change the, your destiny You don't know that your destiny was supposed to get, be, hit, get hit by a car But you made dua, you're trying to be safe And Allah, because you made dua He uh, saved you from, you know For example, getting hit by a car That change, that modification That editing in your destiny Is already, is already written In a higher level of destiny I know it could be a little confusing, but that, that's has, as much as I can simplify, at least for now, because now we're not focused on the topic of destiny. Now, let's go back. So the Prophet heard the pen writing, you know, scribing. It's like the pen keeps on writing because, again, we said there's a daily uh, destiny that the pen writes. Now, you also need to know that the pen is located above the throne. It's right next to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we do not know what did Allah tell our Prophet ﷺ in that meeting. So Allah, the Prophet ﷺ was lifted. He didn't see the throne. He didn't see Allah. But he was in the presence of Allah. You have to understand this. And we do not know that what, what, what was the conversation exactly. We do not know the conversation. But what we know is 
that certain things happened from them. Here's the interesting part. And this is the part we're focusing on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded our Prophet to give the Muslims the obligatory 50 prayers per day. Uh, hey, well, you, you meant five, not 50. You mean five daily prayers? No, I meant 50. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told our Prophet ﷺ, you and your nation, meaning the Muslims, all the Muslims, will pray 50 times a day, every single day until the day you die. What? <laughs> you know, a lot of people when they hear this, they were like, what are you talking about? We barely can make five. What do you mean 50? Here's the thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed or commanded the Prophet ﷺ to perform 50 prayers along with every single Muslim at first. And by the way, that would have been totally reasonable. Some people might think I'm crazy right now. Again, we can barely pray five times a day. What do you mean 50 is reasonable? Guess what? You were only created to worship Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created your sole purpose. The sole purpose of your creation is to worship Allah. So if Allah says you're going to pray, you're going to sit your whole, whole day praying 50 times. Yeah. That's Allah's right upon us. Not to have fun and, and, and go out uh, about our day, even have a family or... No. Like I said, worshipping Allah is our number one, my dear brothers and sisters. It's Allah's right. He created you for a purpose. You know, you can't tell Allah, oh, you know, I'm not going to do it because it's your purpose. Allah created you for that. You know? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Rasulullah 50, 50 prayers a day. Among a lot of things that we basically do not know about. And then the Prophet said, accepted. He said, oh, of course. Allah, the Prophet is not going to argue with Allah, right? Allah giving him a number. He, it's it's fine. All right. Inshallah. Sama'an wa ta'an. We hear and we obey. So on the way back, so now the meeting is over. And then on the way back, descending now from the above the seventh heaven, our Prophet meets Moses. Again, remember he met him when he was going up. Now he meets him again going down. So Moses asks him, hey, what did Allah tell you regarding your nation? Moses knows, by the way, Moses and the Prophet ﷺ are the only two people who spoke to Allah directly. Remember, Moses spoke to Allah but on earth, by the, uh, the mountain of Tur in, in Egypt. That's a very famous uh, you know, story, a very authentic story, that Moses spoke to Allah directly by the mountain of Tur. The Prophet ﷺ is also... He also spoke to Allah directly, but where? Above the seventh heaven. You know? So they both have this similar experience with Allah. And Moses knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give him some commands, some obligatory uh, you know, acts of worship that we, uh, Muslims have to abide by or follow. So the Prophet ﷺ told Moses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded me to tell my people, to command my people to pray 50 prayers per day so look at this looks very interesting so moses said go back to allah and ask him to lower the number of prayers he said make it a little bit lower you know means you know lower you know make it a little bit less because your people now moses is explaining why he's asking our prophet to do that will not be able to pray 50 prayers per day 
I had the same experience with my own people and it was very difficult for them to pray many prayers on a daily basis. So Moses basically is telling our Prophet ﷺ to do that out of experience. He knows. See, remember we mentioned last episode that Moses was, you know, a little bit jealous in a healthy, very healthy and very beautiful way from, you know, the nation of the Prophet ﷺ. But here, look, he's now worried. He's working with the Prophet ﷺ to make things easier for us. You have to, guys, you have to understand this. That jealousy was totally okay. And that type of jealousy is totally okay as long as it, it's healthy and it makes you focus on yourself, not other people. And that's exactly what Moses was thinking about regarding, you know, the numbers of uh, people following him versus the numbers of Muslims following the Prophet. And it shows you here, he's helping, he's working with the Prophet. No, 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 no. Go back to Allah, tell him to lower it. Your people won't be able to handle it. Moses is looking out for us. He has way more experience. Up until this point, he has way more experience than the Prophet ﷺ. He's been, you know, a prophet for many years. The Prophet ﷺ, this is still the 10th year of his prophethood. You have to understand this. So out of experience, because he's the more experienced prophet, he was giving advice to the Prophet ﷺ and telling him, go talk to Allah and ask him to lower the number of prayers. 50 is too much. So our Prophet ﷺ still looked at Jibreel. He was like, oh, I don't know, this is a big deal. You literally want me to go back to Allah and tell, tell him, can you lower it? I don't know. It's, you know, again, you know, even us with our human bosses, you know, when we want to debate or, or, or bargain with them about something, we feel a little weird. Imagine the Lord and the King of all kings. The Prophet ﷺ is shy from Allah. He doesn't want to do this. But at the same time, he wants to do what's best for us. He doesn't want to make things difficult for us as well. So he looks at Jibreel as if he's asking him, should I do this or not? So Jibreel nods like, yeah, go ahead, go for it. So he takes it like a second opinion from Jibreel. So Jibreel nods and then the Prophet, the, the Prophet asks to go back to Allah and he does. He goes back to Allah and he asks Allah, again, still without Jibreel. And that shows you Jibreel was still in the uh, in the sixth heaven in the sixth heaven with Moses. So the person goes back to Allah and he asks Allah to drop the number if Allah allows it. So Allah drops the number. Now there are two differences of opinion. It really doesn't matter. Uh, some scholars are interpreting the verse, to, uh, the, the hadith that the Prophet said that that Allah uh, either dropped because the Prophet doesn't explicitly mention the number that it was dropped by. But the, basically, the, 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 the scholars, they say either Allah dropped it by five. So it, instead of uh, 50, it became 45. Or uh, Allah dropped it by 10. So instead of 50, it became 40. It really That detail really doesn't matter. But what we know is it was not dropped to five right away. That's bottom line. That's, you know, that's the point. So the Prophet goes back and he asks Moses. I mean, he goes back and he tells Moses, hey. Uh, I dropped him to, let's say, 40. So Moses is like, no, no, 40 is not going to cut it. Go back to Allah and ask to lower it even more. Okay? So Prophet Muhammad, he's like, okay, I mean, yeah, let me try again. You know, Allah giving me that permission before, let me see if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow me to do this. He goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah drops it another, let's say, if it's going to be 10 by 10, so Allah drops it another 10, so it becomes 30. He goes back. So the person kept going back and forth, 
every time he he goes back to Moses, Moses says, no, 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 go back. No, 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 go back. No, no, go back until it reached five daily prayers. You know, five daily prayers. Then he goes back to Moses now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, it's all right, it's five daily prayers. So Allah dropped it to five, right? And then he went back to Moses and then Moses uh, told him, you know what? Five is still a lot. Ask Allah to drop it, you know, maybe to, you know, three, two or three a day. Five is still a lot. Bargain. And the Prophet ﷺ felt embarrassed. At this, at this point, the Prophet ﷺ was embarrassed. So he responded and says, Hey Moses, I keep going back and forth with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I feel shy. I feel embarrassed. I'm shy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know what? I'm content with five daily prayers. And before any of them say anything, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said out loud in, 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 in above the seventh heaven, the five daily prayers has been established upon the Muslims. So that means it's a decree now. That's it. So the five, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says out loud, the five daily prayers has been established upon the Muslims and now it's obligatory. That's it. It's obligatory five daily prayers. And I have made things easier for my worshipers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dropped it from 50 to 5. So Allah's telling us and telling the Prophet and Moses. By the way, Moses and the Prophet both could hear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I have, so Allah says, I have established five daily prayers are now obligatory upon, upon the Muslims. And I have made things easier for my worshipers, obviously. It is five prayers. Look at this. But it shall be rewarded as 50. Look at the mercy and the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah wanted us, started with 50 daily prayers with, with, with us, with the Prophet. And when the Prophet tried to bargain for our sake, Allah dropped it to five, but Allah kept the reward equals to 50. So if you pray five times a day, if you pray five times a day, it will be rewarded as if you prayed 50 times a day. For those of you who are struggling to pray five, five, five times a day, for those of us as Muslims who are struggling to pray five times a day, why would you do that? You are gaining the rewards of 50 prayers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself said it. Really? Is it that difficult now? Now, some might say, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do all this? Doesn't he know the future? Again, the same question that people, you know, sometimes when they're trying to question the logic of events. Why would Allah do this in the first place? Like Allah knows it's going to be eventually five. Allah knows the future. Allah knows the Prophet is going to ask him, why didn't he start with five? And just get it over with instead of, you know, this whole scene happening, the, the Prophet going back and forth, up and down. Well, number one, you need to know Allah's mercy. If Allah starts with five, you would never know that Allah would have put 50 on you upon, you know, upon Muslims that they have to pray 50 times. And Allah lowered it because of his mercy. You have to know that. You have to realize that and appreciate it. So when you pray five times a day, you know that it could have been a lot more. It makes sense for Allah to show us the origin of the 50 daily prayers.
Allah has protocols. Remember, we said that Allah does not break His protocols for anyone. You want it to low to be lowered? Ask me for it, and if I will, I will grant it to you. Now, five daily prayers. You know, we've worded as fifty. Subhanallah, it's incredible, <laughs> and it shows the ultimate generosity of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. If you find five daily prayers are very hard to observe. Think about this incident. Now, Allah, uh, the Prophet ﷺ, after this, this, this meeting was over, uh, our Prophet ﷺ kept descending. Now, Jibreel came back in the picture and then he's taking him down. And then on his way down, he actually smelled a very beautiful fragrance. Something that smelled really good. You know, like, a, like a, some sort of, you know, like a, a fragrance. So he asked Jibreel, what is this beautiful smell? So Jibreel responded, he said, he said, it is the smell of a woman who used to comb the hair of the daughter of the Pharaoh. Remember the Pharaoh of Egypt, Pharaoh, the one who was oppressing uh, the children of Israel, the Jews, and the one that uh, was after Prophet Moses, that, far, that Pharaoh, that Pharaoh, right? So Jibreel is basically telling the Prophet yeah, the smell, the beautiful, the smell that you, you, you're smelling, that's her smell and her children's as well. So that woman used to be a slave. She used to be a, a servant who used to comb the hair of the daughter of that Pharaoh. Okay, so what's her story? So her story is simply one, that woman used to come just to comb the hair of, you know, again, they were, they were kings, right? He ruled all of Egypt. So uh, one time, while she was combing the hair of the daughter of Pharaoh, uh, the comb fell from her hand. So she said, Bismillah. She said, by the name of Allah. So the daughter thought she meant her father. Because you guys have to, rem to understand, the Pharaoh uh, told people that he was their God. He is the ultimate God. And he is to be worshipped. That was the, the his, his, his strategy, his, like, his, uh, his policy. I am God. I'm not just a ruler. I'm your God and you have to worship me. You know? That, that's why he's the worst human being on earth. He forced people to worship him as a God. So the daughter now is telling the lady, the, the servant, oh, when you said Bismillah, you mean, you mean my dad because he's a God. Right? You mean my father. And then the woman bravely responded and said, no. When I said Bismillah, Allah is my Lord and your Lord and your father's Lord. He is the God of your father. Your father is not a God. So the daughter threatened to tell her father. She's like, you know what? I'm going to tell my father that you said that. So the woman was like, go ahead. I'm not afraid. So the girl told her father. And then he came, which is the Pharaoh, right? He brought the servant, the woman, and he asked her, do you have another Lord beside myself? Meaning, do you worship somebody else? Are you crazy? And she said, yes, my Lord and your Lord is God, is Allah. So he said, great, wonderful. So he commanded his men to bring some sort of like a fire pit. And then he told the woman, you know what? As a punishment for you, you are going to drop your children one by one in that pit. And then you're going to jump in yourself. Yeah, he was a horrible human being. And that's why he is mentioned a lot in the Quran, you know, 
He was mentioned a lot in the Quran in all the negative ways. He is the worst human who ever lived on the face of this earth. He said, if you don't want me to, 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 you know, to make you do this, to force you to drop your, to, to, to throw your children into that fire pit and to throw yourself, you have to acknowledge in front of the whole country that I am your God. So she refused. She's like, no, I'm not going to because I already have a God and he is your God. She asked them one thing though. She asked them to bury her next to her children. She said, I'll, you do to me what, what you want to make an example of me? Go ahead. But I want to be at, you know, buried next to my children. And actually she was for like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made that happen and uh, made them agree to that. Then uh, she was forced uh, to throw her children one by one. She actually did it. She threw her children one by one. And then the time for her, she had a newborn. Uh, and she, was, she couldn't do it. Like she threw all of her children except for that newborn. Except for that newborn. So she stopped. And here's the miracle that happened. That newborn spoke. He spoke to her and said, Oh, my mother, don't worry. Go ahead and throw me because the punishment of this world is nothing compared to the punishment of the next. So she recognized that this was a clear sign and a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So she carried the newborn and threw herself into the fire pit. Now, a lot of people might say, why, did Allah, why didn't Allah intervene? Why did Allah, you know, why did he let her do all this? Why didn't Allah stop this? Again, we mentioned this many times. Allah does not act upon us oppressing one another. Allah, for a wisdom, he makes certain people suffer so they can be honored on the day of judgment. To us, life is really important and it's, you know, the end all and everything. That's why we get upset and mad. Some of us get mad, a'udhu billah, from Allah at Allah. Oh, why would Allah allow this? Because this is, this life is everything to us. But this life is nothing to Allah. It's temporary. You're dying anyway. It doesn't matter. What matters is eternity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the hereafter is everlasting and it is way better and it makes, it counts. This life doesn't count. You can only use this life too. So this woman and her children died for the sake of Allah. So they utilized their, their lives to enter Jannah. And guess how she was honored? Her fragrance and her children's fragrance are smelt by the angels in the heavens, in the skies, above us. And they will enter paradise as a family. And that is true faith. Not to get angry at Allah for some injustices that are happening. Yes, if we can stop it, stop it. It's your, your obligation as a Muslim to stop injustices if you can. And in a just way. Not unjustly as well. But if you can't, you are patient and you make dua to Allah to either 
lift the injustice from this world or to reward you or reward the people who are being, you know, uh, oppressed in the hereafter. And Allah knows everything. Allah, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that these people who are been oppressed all of their lives, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will dip him in Jannah and will ask him, have you ever had a bad day in your life? And they'll say, no. They will remember, they will forget all the pain they went through once they enter Jannah, paradise. Life doesn't matter. This life doesn't matter. Yes, that doesn't mean we can't live our lives. No, live it. But do not let it compromise worshiping Allah. Do not let it compromise your faith because it's not worth it. Utilize it. Live good with your family. Have a good life. All in the worshiping of Allah and enjoy life at the same time. But if enjoying life will contradict worshiping Allah and will contradict your faith, then there's a problem. Now, moving on after this, you know, our Prophet ﷺ passed by on his way down uh, uh, Jannah, paradise. He saw it. And he said, in it, there are tents that are made out of pearls. And the soil is made out of musk. Oh my God, subhanAllah. We'll describe Jannah, inshallah, in full detail when we get to it. But for now, it shows you that it's, it's beyond this world. Jannah is a place, you know, when they show you in, in certain like, you know, utopian movies or whatever, like when you, you go to a place and it's, it looks so beautiful and green and rivers everywhere and, you know, all these things. Nothing. Beside the fact that they're not real. Again, a lot of majestic things are waiting for us in paradise, inshallah. Also, the Prophet ﷺ saw the Jal, the Antichrist. We'll talk about him, inshallah, uh, you know, after we finish the biography, we, we will mention, you know, the signs of the Day of Judgment, inshallah, and all these things. But for now, he saw him and he sa- described him as a one-eyed man. He Basically, he has one eye that it's a damaged eye, you know, and he has one working eye. And he actually, the Prophet ﷺ described that one damaged eye looks like a rotten grape. That's the Antichrist. The Prophet ﷺ described him physically for us. Then our Prophet ﷺ saw hellfire as well. On his way down. And he got glimpses of the punishments that will take place on the day of judgment. Jibreel explained to him all these things. Every time the Prophet sees something and he doesn't understand it, Jibreel explains it to him. You know, by of course a command and a permission from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, we'll give you some examples of the punishments that the Prophet saw taking place on the day of judgment. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala basically opened like a, 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 a opened a, a, some sort of like a, a view of the future of the day of judgment and made the Prophet look through that view so he can see what happens. These are actual events that will happen on a day of judgment that the Prophet was able to, you know, look at to be able to describe to us. So one of the things is, for example, the people who steal the money from orphans. Look at this. On the Day of Judgment, they will have disfigured noses and they will be eating fire coals, coals that are lit on fire. And they will swallow those coals and it will come out of their basically behind or their anuses. Fire. Also, those, and this is very, very dangerous, those who backbite. They will have nails that are made out of copper. And they will be scratching their faces and their backs 
Because again, they were scratching the honor of people that were not present. That's backbiting for you. Backbiting is a major, major sin. And it's the most dangerous because nobody feels that it's a sin. I'm just talking about someone. I'm saying my opinion while they're not here. Those who choose to commit adultery instead of marriage, they will have, look at this, they will have good cooked meat in front of them and they will have rotten raw meat in front of them. Unwillingly, they will be eating from the rotten raw meat because they chose the haram over the halal. You know, they chose the unlawful way of, you know, uh, uh, engaging in intercourse instead of lawful way, which is getting married. Those who deal in usury, interest, in our, you know, our times we call it interest, right? Those who pay interest, those who receive interest, they will have massive bellies that won't be, a- they, because they massive, like, again, unlike anything in this world, they won't be able to stand up from how big their bellies uh, are. And uh, that's why they're going to still be falling on, you know, the ground. And then large animals will step, step over them. While they're sitting on the ground. So the animals will, you know, stampede them basically. And another problem, those who tell people to do good deeds, but they themselves don't do it. Hypocrites. They will be cutting their own lips with scissors made out of copper. Again, these are like some brutal, gory punishments. That's why it's... Disbelieving in Allah, disobeying Allah, doing bad things is not an easy thing to do. There are bad, bad punishments waiting for those people. And we'll get to the Day of Judgment, I promise you. I'm going to dedicate, God knows, it's going to be many, many episodes. A lot of episodes, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described the Day of Judgment uh, to us in a very, very detailed way. So, inshallah, this is a very enjoyable topic, but it's very scary at the same time. But there's also hope for those who are believers. As long as you're a believer, you're doing your best, inshallah, do not worry. And do not, I mean, you should fear Allah in a way, in a positive way, so you can, you know, do good deeds and do more good deeds and stop your bad deeds and bad behavior. Now, this was all done. The Prophet compiled what he saw there, and then he, the Prophet eventually went back to earth. He went back, you know, through the first heaven and then he found, remember that animal, the buraq that he took in the beginning of the journey. Remember he tied it in the, in the animal staple next to Jeru- in Jerusalem. So he went back to buraq and then he wrote the buraq and then, you know, the buraq uh, started going back to Mecca incredibly fast. But on the way, and this is significant, the Prophet ﷺ saw three caravans. From Mecca, so the, he recognized them, of course. So from Mecca, they were, now we're back to our world now. So he's going back to Mecca, so he sees three caravans, right? And uh, 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 and one of the caravans seemed to be, lose, they lost a camel. They looked like they were looking for a camel that was lost, right? And after our Prophet went back to Mecca, he slept by the Kaaba. He went back, remember he was taken from Kaaba, from in front of the Kaaba, to Jerusalem, so he went back and took a nap by the Kaaba until the morning. Then he woke up and he felt anxiety. He was so worried because he didn't know how to explain to the people of Mecca. They already, they are already rejecting him. They are already torturing him. They're making fun of him. So, because by the way, Allah commanded him to tell people about what happened. At least the Isra, the night journey. 
maybe the Mi'raj is only for the believers, or only for the companion. The ascension to the heavens was only mentioned to the companions, to the Muslims. That's why we know it now and we believe it, alhamdulillah. Because it's also mentioned in the Quran. Allah actually proves it in the Quran. But the Prophet was commanded to tell the people of Mecca, including the pagans, about the night journey to Jerusalem. That was a must. The Mi'raj was for only for the Muslims. So the Prophet was like, how am I? They're already making fun of me. They're already saying that I'm a magician. Now if I tell them that I went to Jerusalem in one night, guys, this is two different countries. You have to understand. Went to Jerusalem in the middle of the night. There are no planes, nothing. You, you cannot get to Jerusalem in one night. It takes days and upon days upon days to get to Jerusalem from Mecca. So he was extremely worried. Again, it shows the humanity of the Prophet He's a human being. And he has to worry about worldly things. You know, how am I going to convince those people who are already rejecting Islam? So Abu Jahl was passing by him. And he saw him looking very worried. So he says, what happened to you? Of course, Abu Jahl can't stand the Prophet ﷺ, you know. So he said, what, what, what happened? What, why you look like this? So Prophet ﷺ cannot lie. He never told the lie in his life. He's not going to start now. He said, I went from Mecca to Jerusalem in one night, last night, and I came back. So Abu Jahl responded and said, and you're here with us now? Are you serious? So the Prophet said, yes, that's what happened. So Abu Jahl goes, wait, 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 wait. That was a, a Now that was an opportunity for Abu Jahl to, you know, ridicule the Prophet even more. So he said, wait, 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 wait. If I call the people of Mecca right here, right now, would you repeat to them what you just told me? The Prophet said, yes, it is the truth. I'm not going to change it. Yes, I will tell them. Then Abu Jahl, you know, his eyes lit up and he was like so happy. He started calling people. Hey, people of Mecca. Ya Ma'ashara Mecca. Come on, come here. Ya Ma'ashara Quraysh. Come here. Oh, people of Quraysh, come here. You need to listen. Muhammad wants to tell you something. You have to listen to him. Of course, he's mocking him and he's waiting, you know. So everybody started coming. Everybody in the area, you know, heard Abu Jahl, came to see what's what's going on. Then the Prophet ﷺ told him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, made me go from Mecca to Jerusalem. And I met, you know, I, I saw Jerusalem. We prayed there and everything and I came back. Of course, some people were shocked. Some people started laughing. You know, there was mixed reactions. So most of the reactions were negative. And uh, one of the people was like, okay, wait a second. He wanted now to expose, quote unquote, expose the Prophet you know, and, 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 and show people that he doesn't know what he's talking about. So he said, okay, describe Jerusalem to me. Now, that person used to travel to Jerusalem. He knows what it looks like. He always trades there. And everybody knows that the Prophet never, according to their knowledge, never traveled to Jerusalem. They know this. He would have been gone. They would have noticed. So he's like, describe it to us. You know? So our Prophet started describing the area that he was there, you know, the stuff he's seen. By the way, you have to understand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, ta made the Prophet go there in, during nighttime. So not everything was clear to the Prophet it was nighttime. And there was no city lights that we have here right now, you know. So most of the road was dark. 
But the Prophet ﷺ kept describing as much as he you know, could remember. And then they started asking him for more specifics. So what was in that alley? So what do you see when you go from that road to that road? Those people who actually, you know, went to Jerusalem before. So the Prophet ﷺ became terrified of, you know, he does not want to mess up. He was there, but he doesn't know all these details, you know. So he started, you know, getting really, really worried and anxious while he's describing. And out of, oh, no, while he was struggling, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifested Jerusalem right, of, right in front of him. Like Jerusalem just appeared out of nowhere right in front of the Prophet ﷺ. You know, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, was seeing it as if he was actually in Jerusalem live. So he, they started asking him a lot of questions. He was answering, oh, this place has this. Oh, this place looks like this. As if the, the Prophet ﷺ was seeing it in his eyes. And they were shocked because they knew he was telling the truth. They knew he was right. They know what he's talking about. And there's no way that that was a scam. You know, and then in, so Abu Jahl got angry. His plan didn't work. He's describing Jerusalem to everyone, and the people who went there are saying, "Yeah, he's telling the truth. That's what Jerusalem looks like." In addition, the Prophet ﷺ, as more proof, said there are three caravans. That's why it was significant. There are three caravans from Mecca are on their way back here. I saw them last night when I was coming. And they are on they're about to arrive soon. And one of them lost a camel. You can ask him to verify. He told them that. So Abu Jahl, out of his you know anger and he was annoyed, he was waiting by the gates of Mecca for those three caravans to show up. And lo and behold, three caravans, and that's not just him, a lot of people saw it coming in, and he asked them, Did you guys lose a camel last night? And they said, Yes, how did you know about this? And he lost his mind, but of course, his arrogance, you know, and that's what we, my dear brothers and sisters, we say, you could see the truth in front of your eyes. And if you're arrogant to reject the truth, you'll come up with something. And that's exactly what he did. He said, what? Oh, we all know that Muhammad practices magic and he's a magician and he's, you know, he's a wizard and he probably, you know, knew these things because he, because of his magic, none of this happened. And he closed the page on this, you know, moved on. And of course, that it shows you. Again, this is the Prophet describing Jerusalem. He told him that something that three, about the three caravans, yet he does not want to believe. And that happens in today's world. You'll tell people something that's very as clear as day when it comes to the truth. They will still reject it because they just don't have it in their hearts. They don't want to believe in their hearts. Now, in the midst of all this, someone runs to Abu Bakr Siddiq, the, 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 the best friend of the Prophet ﷺ, and tells him, Hey man, your friend is claiming he went to Jerusalem and came back in one night. Can you believe this? Of course, the person is mocking the Prophet ﷺ, and he's also trying to rub it in, into Abu Bakr's face. So Abu Bakr uh, responded and said, If he said that, because the Prophet doesn't know if he said it or not, but if, 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 Ma, if, if the Prophet of Allah, if Muhammad said that, then he is telling the truth. And the man asked, do you really believe this? Are you, are you, like he wants to be like, are you kidding me? Do you really believe his claims that he went to Jerusalem and came back in one night? And to that, Abu Bakr responded and he said, I believe him if he even said something bigger than this happened to him. 
I believed him when he told me that Allah sent him, sent him with a message of revelation to all of mankind. Why wouldn't I believe him now? Meaning, I believed him when he said he's, he's a messenger from Allah. This is a big deal. You don't think I'm going to believe him now when he says he went to Jerusalem and came back in one night? Of course I believe him. And since that day, he was called the Siddiq. So that was the incident that kind of concluded. He believed the Prophet many times, but since that day, he was called or given the nickname of Al-Siddiq. And Siddiq in English means the one who constantly believes. And that was basically referring to him believing the Prophet Sallallahu in every uh, in everything, basically, in every claim the Prophet made, everything the Prophet told him, he believed it without without a shred of doubt. That incident is what made uh, uh, the best friend of the Prophet Abu Bakr to be named Abu Bakr as Siddiq, and that concludes the the miracle. Uh, uh, of the night journey and the ascension to the heavens uh, there's so much to you know learn from and this is by far the biggest miracle after the quran uh, i hope that you guys you know we learned something from it and i hope it was a very interesting incident that you know makes us reflect uh, on our lives uh, here and now thank you so much for listening wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh